Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't usually feel the need to start off sermons with disclaimers, but today might be a little different. Today, we hear in no uncertain terms what God's will for marriage is and what God thinks of divorce. And so today, I intend only by God's grace to proclaim to you his word, both law as well as the gospel. And as the Christ-centered hearers of God's word that I know you to be, I want to make sure that all of you make sure that you hear both of those from me today. And tell me if you don't. Now, I recognize that just about everyone here today has likely been impacted by divorce in some way or another. Those who are children of divorce, those who have lived through a divorce themselves, or those who have witnessed uh, those, the toll that divorce can take on people around us or any, number, any other number of situations. Whatever it might be for you, I hope what you hear from me today is a clear, compassionate, and correct proclamation of what God says. And if you hear anything else from me other than that, or have questions about what it is that is said, I ask that you would come and find me and talk to me about it. Now, with all that said, today we hear from God's word from Mark chapter 10. It begins right away with an ominous start. In verse 2, we hear the Pharisees approach Jesus in order to test him. They were looking for Jesus to fail so that they could trap him in his words. And so they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, first of all, we see that Jesus does not fall into their trap. But second of all, and more importantly, what Jesus does say is very instructive for us in how we should consider the topic of marriage and divorce. Jesus is going to move the the Pharisees from a conversation about what is lawful and instead bring them into a conversation about what is good. And Jesus begins by returning their question with a question. What did Moses command you? To which they replied, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Which usually raises the first of many questions in our minds. Was Moses not on the same page as God when it came to divorce? Was Moses allowing divorce in Israel when he shouldn't have been? But you see, the passage that's being referred to here by the Pharisees is Deuteronomy chapter 24, which, when you read it, is not a passage about permitting divorce. Moses simply is acknowledging that divorces and remarriages were already taking place in Israel, and the point of this passage was to address a specific type of remarriage. The law given was to prohibit a twice-divorced person in Israel from going back to their original spouse. Now Moses provides the reason why, or Jesus provides the reason why Moses gave that law. God wasn't approving of divorce. Divorce was already happening. And Jesus said it was happening because of people's sinful and hard hearts. That's why Moses gave the law, to, to keep things from getting out of hand completely. But you see, what happened then In the 1400 years between Moses and Jesus, 
That passage then had been used to debate and explain and teach all sorts of theories and times when divorce was permissible or when it was not. And those are exactly the murky waters that the Pharisees wanted to drag Jesus into and see what he said. Simply acknowledging the reality of divorce does not make it God's will. And that's what Jesus makes clear to the Pharisees. And so he goes all the way back to the beginning of time, beginning of creation, and he reminds them what marriage truly is as God ordained it. And what God thinks about divorce. Jesus quotes what we heard in our Old Testament reading today from Genesis chapter 2. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You see, the Pharisees wanted to debate the situations in which divorce was acceptable. They wanted a conversation about what was lawful, but Jesus wasn't playing that game because it misses the point entirely. It's like a student asking how many times they're allowed to fail instead of focusing on what it means to be a good student in the first place. Or a child asking how many times they're permitted to disobey their parents instead of focusing on what it means to honor and cherish one's parents. That's why Jesus insists on a conversation not about what is lawful, but instead upon what is good. Marriage is good because God ordained it. Now, on a side note today... That doesn't mean that God has called every person into marriage. God also calls people into the equally honorable and important vocation of being single, which would, of course, require its own time and its own discussion to go through. But for those whom God has called into the holy estate of marriage, he makes it absolutely clear what is expected. God created men and women to be different and yet complementary. And so they are to leave their respective families and in the holy union of marriage become one in order to form a new family. And they hold fast to one another, sacrificing for one another, partnering with one another. And God unites them in a lifelong bond for all the good times as well as the bad, for all the times of sickness as well as health, in times of prosperity as well as poverty. Marriage is a gift from God to those whom he gives it, and so he alone defines marriage. He alone expresses his will for it. And to approach the topic of marriage by first asking when it's okay to dissolve it misses the mark entirely. And yet today, Jesus does actually give his answer to that point. He is quite clear. The Pharisees wanted to hear what his thoughts were about when divorce is lawful. And Jesus gives them a direct answer. Never. It is never lawful. Because divorce is contrary to the very nature of marriage as God intended it. 
Now again, I know that this raises probably many more questions in our minds as we begin to wonder about some of the situations that we've seen or experienced, and and I'll address those in just a moment. But before we go down that road of exceptions, let us not miss the main point here. Let us not get lost in the murky waters of the Pharisees when at least for now, what Jesus is calling us to see are things from God's perspective. We must first see marriage as God sees it, that when he joins a man and a woman together in holy matrimony, it is never meant to be separated by anyone, including ourselves. And anything that we do to separate what God has joined together is not good. But why does divorce happen? Well, as Jesus indicates, it's because of our own hard hearts. It's because of our sin. It's because of us. And that's not just the case only with marriage, by the way. There are many other good things in this life that God has also joined together that our sin continually separates, whether it's family relationships, relationships with with parents or with children or brothers or sisters, people with whom our bond is meant to be unbroken, but that our sin so often disrupts. Or whether it's relationships within the church. The unity that we're supposed to have as brothers and sisters in Christ, yet even within the body of Christ, divisions crop up. It isn't good, and it isn't God's will. But this is what sin in our fallen world does. It divides us. Going back to Adam and Eve, we know that their primary relationship wasn't first with one another, it was with God. But what did we see happen when they chose to prioritize their own wants and desires ahead of God's? They were separated from him. What God had joined together, namely humankind with himself, we were then separated. And the close relationship we once had with God, as Adam and Eve were walking with God in the garden, was now a relationship of shame and hiding And sin has continued to do this in every generation since then. When we recognize that our own sin contributes to the the, the division and the dysfunction in this world, our response can only be one thing, repentance and asking God for forgiveness. The same is true in marriage. Divorce happens because one or both of the spouses involved decide to end what God never designed to be ended. And that doesn't usually happen all at once either. It it usually happens over a period of time after thousands of small choices, choices to be afraid or cowardly or unkind or vengeful. All too often, a husband or a wife or both, by their choices, slowly destroy their marriage. And then that couple will end up in a friend's living room or in a counselor's chair or in a pastor's office. And they will let them know for the first time that the divorce is imminent. But by then it's too late. The damage has already been done. And it started a long time ago. But our culture today tells us that divorce is normal. And it's not a big deal. Just as the culture did in Moses' day and just as the culture did in Jesus' day. Things don't change. 
Hard hearts will always disregard what God intended to be a lifelong commitment and separate what he had joined together, saying that it's fine. It's no big deal. These things just happen. No one needs to get hurt. People have their reasons. Who are we to say any different? This is what the world says. That two married people can divorce simply because they feel like it because they want to move on in their life, because they're not in love anymore, because people change, or because they feel like their needs aren't being met. But regardless of what is said, it's not the truth. It is contrary to God's will. And it is contrary to the vows that they took. What's more, it fails to recognize that when we, by our sins, separate something that God brought together and intended to stay together, that people do get hurt. That we ought to consider a divorce like a death or like a mortal wound that we aren't meant to inflict upon ourselves or upon others. That spouses and children, as well as family and friends, do in fact suffer when a marriage ends, regardless of what we may try to convince ourselves. That after a divorce happens, people do need to grieve and to find help and to be healed. This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10. He is not willing to discuss the lawfulness of divorce at the expense of missing what is intended to be good, and neither should we. Now that said, I would be remiss if I did not mention that the Bible elsewhere does acknowledge situations in which divorce in a fallen world is permissible or perhaps, better put, unavoidable. Not that it ever makes divorce good. Divorce is still a terrible thing. We shouldn't pretend otherwise, but like we said before, just because God acknowledges divorce, it it doesn't make it good, but it may be unavoidable. A marriage takes two committed people, and sometimes one person decides that that marriage is going to end even before a divorce is ever brought to the table. And they do this by their words or their actions or by their choices. They end the marriage through infidelity or abandonment or abuse or neglect. They choose to break the vows that they had made and therefore they break their marriage. And it leaves the other spouse then in an impossible situation. In these cases, the divorce is simply recognizing what has already occurred, which is that the marriage has been ended. Now, that isn't to say that in every one of these situations that the divorce must occur, or that by the grace of God, the two spouses can't reconcile, because God has before and may still work a change of heart or a change of behavior and repentance and forgiveness between the two. And if that's possible, then thanks be to God, because it's yet again God working through sinful and fallen people like us for good. But when it's not possible, when you don't have two parties willing to reconcile, then divorce may be the only way forward. Divorce is not always equal. And I'd like you to hear this. There is a difference between people who suffer divorce and people who inflict divorce. 
And unfortunately, it can leave a spouse and possibly even children, if children are involved, suffering all the wounds that that sin and divorce bring, things that they did not choose and would have never chosen, but they weren't given that option to choose. So with all that said, what then does this mean? Well, I know that Jesus' words today may may hit rather close to home because he speaks what may be a painful truth about a situation that has affected so many of us. And even if you're not someone who has been directly affected by divorce, when you zoom out, like we mentioned before, you see that divorce is simply one of many instances that our sin as a human race, sin that each and every one of us has, causes deep division and despair and even death in this world. The wages of our sin is death. But does that mean that there is no hope? And the answer is no. There is hope. Like I said before, my task today is to proclaim both God's law and gospel. And the gospel, the good news is this, that our sin, which causes division in this world and divorce from God himself, is exactly why Jesus came. He came because we were divided from God and divorced from him for what would have been all of eternity. But God was not satisfied with that. And so Jesus crossed the chasm that was between us and him. And he laid down his life as a bridge so that we may be reconciled to him so that he can bring close his bride, the church, to the ever faithful bride, Jesus Christ. Bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Well, the painful truth is that we do separate what God has joined together. That's what sin does. But the good news today can be stated like this. What man has separated, God joins together. When our families and our lives are broken apart, either by our own actions or by the actions of others, God is able to stitch us back together again by his forgiveness and love. By the payment for our sin that Jesus paid on the cross, by the life-giving act of Jesus being raised from the dead, by the power of the Holy Spirit who was sent to us to work in our lives, by all that our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has done and is able to continue to do for us, we are restored and forgiven. Have you through divorce, been left hurt or abandoned? Christ is with you and will always provide you healing for you both now and fully in the resurrection. Have you been carrying the guilt of a divorce you were at least partly responsible for? You are forgiven. Because of what Christ has done for you. Have you felt like you're the product of a broken family and those deep hurts that just won't go away? Christ comes to you today. 
to draw you to himself once again so that you may find your fulfillment in him and what's more, see the family of Christ ready to step in to love and support you. Have you been worried that your own marriage is heading down a worrisome road? Recognize this, that in every marriage in the history of the world, it has always been made up of two sinful people. But by the grace of God and by his love, his love continually comes to us so that love in a marriage may be preserved and by the power of the Holy Spirit is able able to lead even sinners like us into repentance and the offering of forgiveness and the ability to love. Whatever sins you carry, whatever burden you shoulder, whatever grief you bear, Jesus Christ is there for you. And even if in this lifetime you aren't able to see all the broken pieces in your life ever put back together again, and sometimes that does happen, and sometimes grief does last for a lifetime, what Jesus is guiding you to see today is to look through the broken and sinful world and to see all that he has done for you. And all that he will do for you on the day he returns, the day when he will restore this world, the day when he will raise you from the dead, when all your pains of the past will be no longer. Which means that even now, you can find in Jesus Christ forgiveness and life and perfect fulfillment today and every day and for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.